Would you stand with me, please, in honor of God's word? As Sarah said, we are in a series, and uh, today we are in John chapter 15, and the words are going to be up on the screen, starting in verse 1. I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, hide me behind your cross. We need to hear you today. You have something burning on your heart. And Lord, you gave it to me, but now I need you to give it through me. And so God, would you help us? Holy Spirit, fill this place and uh, let us hear what you're saying to each of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. So the series is called I Am, and the first week in the series, we talked about who Jesus is in himself. In John chapter 8, he says to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to throw at him because he is claiming when he says, I am, before Abraham was, I am, he's claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. He is claiming to be God in the flesh, which they considered blasphemy. That's why they were going to throw stones at him. Jesus is the I am. He came into history. He took on flesh, but he existed before us. He ex- he, he's the pre-existent one. He is the uncreated one. He is the self-sufficient one. He is the I am. He is here today. Well, then throughout the Gospel of John, he fills in the blank of not just who he is in himself, but who he is to us. And today's is called, I am the true Vine, and I got a lot to say, so let's get into it. Uh, point one, the vine and the branches. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the source of the human race. I am the true source. We, we're branches. 
Our existence does not make sense apart from the vine. He is the true vine. That means he's the true source. The true source is not human willpower. It's not having fun. It's not addiction. It's not a, there's a thousand things we try to get to be our, our source that are not the true source. There is one true source, and that is Jesus. He says, he says, abide in me. He says, those who do not abide, the Father takes away. And th- there could be confusion. What exactly does that mean that he takes away? The confusion is all cleared up in verse 6. If you do not abide in me, you're going to be cut off like a branch that is dried up and you're going to be thrown into the fire. Those are very strong words. The Father, he says, is the vine dresser. And this is the choice that he gives the human race. And if you don't want to be what God created you to be, then you will be cut off and you will be thrown into the fire. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I never asked to be created. Nope, you didn't. I'm sorry about that. No one ever consulted with you whether you should be created or not. But here's here's the thing. You're here. And now you do have a choice. You can either fulfill the purpose you were made for, or you can choose not to. That is your choice. But please don't test the Father on this. He is, he's the vine dresser, and why is he so set on Jesus? And why is he so set that we have to be grafted into Jesus and we have to abide in Jesus? Well, I think you get a little insight when you look in Philippians 2, because it says that Jesus emptied himself of all of his privileges as God, took the form of a servant, was born on this earth, and he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. He died. He came into this world. He died for our sins. He took on flesh. He, in in an act of tremendous humility, and then it says this in verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Father's glory that we find our identity in Jesus Christ. He went at the bidding of the Father, at the request of the Father to be our Savior. He did that, and this is what the Father is giving him. They, their purpose must be found in you. He is the true vine. What he is describing to the disciples is a relationship more radical than the one they currently have. Right now, they believe in Jesus, they follow Jesus, but he is describing vine and branches. He is, he's about to die. These are his last words. It says in, in, at the end of John 14 that they left the upper room and now they're on their way to Gethsemane. They're probably witnessing vineyards as he shares this relationship that it's going to be like the vine and the branches. Uh, John 14, 16, he just had just said this. I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. 
the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit that you've seen him on me, he's been on you, he's been with us, but I'm going to die, I'm going to be a sacrifice for sin so that the Holy Spirit that's been on you and with you can now come and dwell in you. That you are going to be connected, not just by my words, but by my very presence in you. Even as a vine and the branches share the invisible sap, the sap that is in the vine comes out and fills up the branches. So the Holy Spirit is going to live in you. You are going to be deeply connected to me and I am going to share my spirit with you and you're going to be connected in a way that is intimate and profound. So he says this, abide in me. Abide in me. If you abide in me and, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. Abide in me for apart from, and you'll bring much fruit. A, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide, abide, abide. So I've spent a lot of time this week looking at this word. It is the Greek word meno. And meno is the verb, means to continue in, to remain in, or best to make your home in. It is related to the noun. The noun is mone. It's the, the verb meno, the noun mone. And mone was just used in John 14, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home, our mone with them. Jesus is saying this, make your home with me. Make me your residence. When he says abide in my love, he's saying become home in my love. Make your permanent residence in my love. When people come to our house, I like, I like to put people at ease especially if it's the first time they've been in our house, especially if they seem like they're a little on edge or a little nervous or, here's what I'll say. Please make yourself at home. Please. What am I saying? You don't have to perform here. You don't have to pretend anything here. You don't have to treat this like this is somebody else's home and, and you're afraid if, if you step on the carpet or you put your cup down that, that it's going to be wrong. No, no, this is your home. Be at home here. Relax. You belong here. I want you to be here and I want you relaxed here. Jesus says, abide in my love. What's he saying? Get at home in my love. Relax, I love you. I couldn't love you more. Make it your home, get it in your identity. Uh, you are my beloved, make it your home. Make your home in me and let me make my home in you. We are going to build a new home together, a permanent 
residence. That's the idea of continue and remain in me. I want to build something permanent. Here's what God doesn't want in your understanding of him. He doesn't want to be a hotel that you stay in on Sunday mornings. Nice hotel. We like that hotel. It's got donuts. (laughs) It's got donuts and coffee in the entryway. God doesn't want to be a hotel that you go to once in a while on special occasions. Here's what he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be your apartment where you have a month-to-month lease because you want to keep your options open. Oh, I'm in, but I've got my eyes everywhere because maybe there's something better out there than this. He says, he says this, I want you to make me your home. I want to build a home with you. You and I, I want to build something together with you. You and I need you to be fully invested. I need you to be. This is. I'm. I'm willing to to buy and not just rent or not just visit. I am all in. It's the only way this thing works. Now, to give you an incentive to build the new home with him, he gives us the blueprints of what it looks like. He. This is now we're on to point two. Here's the blueprints of the new home that he wants to build. First, it's large. Here's John 15, 9 and 10 and verse 12. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So, he wants to build this home together, and, uh, but it's, 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 got a, it's got a lot of square feet in it because it includes everybody. He, co- he commands us to love everybody. To love not just the people at our church, but the people at all churches. Every denomination as well. I want there to be room for Christians of every stripe in there. He loves, he wants to, us to include strangers that we don't even know yet. He wants to love them. When you, whatever you do to them, you're doing to me. He wants us to include other races. He, lo- he wants to welcome. Here's, here's how it is, rooming with Jesus. If you want to build a house with Jesus, here's what I've learned about Jesus. He likes to have people over. He, he, there's no one he doesn't like. And he likes to have people over. And so he builds really, really big. It's a large house. And it includes the whole, it, you know who, who it includes? It doesn't just include your friends. It includes your enemies. Don't shout me down, folks. Second... It's happy. The blueprint, it's a happy home. It is filled with joy. John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you. Here's why I've spoken to you. This is what, I, what, what, what my final plan is. That my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. This is, this is on our bulletin. 
Finding joy in Jesus Christ and sharing it. This is, this is the, the, the picture of having a home with Jesus. You say, Pastor Tom, I'm a Christian. I'm not filled with joy. Well, the building's not done yet, is it? It's on the blueprint. But, God, but God's working. Trust me. The more he's, he's moved in, the more joy there will be in his presence, his fullness of joy. He can't help, but he just is joy. There's joy emanating from him. So as you and, I, you and him become more at home with each other, there's going to be progressively more and more joy because it's on the blueprint. It's a, it's a large home and it is a happy home. And then thirdly, praise God, somebody's excited. I love it. <laughs> thirdly, it's a unique home. Look at this verse, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. When we make our home in him and we allow his word not, not some version of him that we made up, but his word, the actual word of God, who he actually said he is. And we, we allow the word of God to become at home in us. What happens is our, our desires and our wishes and those things in us become cleansed by his presence and his word. And then what comes forth are those desires that are uniquely us. We've got, we all have different gifts. We all have different personalities. And what, what God doesn't want is cookie cutter houses. He doesn't want to build the same thing everywhere. He, he's made you unique. Yes. And so he's, he wants to build, the home you and him are building has never been on this planet before. The life of God is expressed differently through people. There's similarities because we're, he's there. So he's going to bring his stuff, but he's put stuff in you that is unique. We have some good friends we have been praying with in a process because they've been trying to decide, should we buy an existing house or should we build a new house? Either way, it's going to be a lot of money, a lot of money. And, and so they were looking at existing homes and they found several homes that would meet their needs. But you know what? To pay that much money, they, the problem with these homes, they would meet their current needs, but they, there was no spark in their heart about, wow, I'm excited about this. And they're going to make a big investment. If you're going to make a big investment, you want to be excited about whatever you're investing in. And so this lot came open. It was their dream lot. It had been closed before. And now they are in the process of building, building a home from the ground up that will be uniquely theirs. We had a guy in our congregation. He's a very prophetic man. He's spoken all over the world. We, guys, there are so many gifts in this body you don't even know about. And, but I love this guy, know about him. And I, I just said, bro, come and minister to our staff. 
And we have these staff days away. And so he came for a whole, uh, I gave him two hours. And he gave a message from his heart. And then he uh, prayed over us prophetically. We all actually jumped in on the prophetic prayer. But he, he spoke this word to us so powerful about staying in your lane. Staying in your lane. You've got a lane that God has you running in and everybody else is running in a different lane and the temptation is is to wander out of your lane into other people's lanes and get doing the wrong stuff or be criticizing what's going on in the other lane and we're we're all going to the same larger goal but we have different lanes, we have different gifts, we have different personalities and the call was to have the discipline to stay in your lane. And so we're, uh, we're praying over one of the staff. And I get, uh, I get these words about enjoying your running in your lane. That was the phrase I used. Enjoy running in your lane. And the image I had as I'm praying is from the movie Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire is about Eric Little, the 1924 Paris Olympics, and he's, he's a runner, but he's a Christian, and he's not just a Christian. Him and his sister Jenny are the children of missionaries, and there's a call on their life, and they're going to go to China to be missionaries. And, and, but in the midst of this, he gets involved in running, and is like the fastest guy in England, and, and the, the, it, it, he's just really fast. And so he goes on this trek to go into the Olympics, and his sister, Jenny, can't understand it. And so she says, Eric, we're called to be missionaries. Why are you doing the, this other thing? And here's the thing. It's really easy to judge other people in their lane. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing it that way? I thought you were called to this. Why, 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 why? And it, it can really take away your joy when you can't explain why you're in this lane and you're not doing it the way they think you should do it. Here's what Eric says back to him, and this is, this is what I gave to the, to the guy we were praying for. He, he's trying to explain it. He says, Jenny, he says, I, he says I, I can't explain it, but here's what I know. I feel his pleasure when I run. I know this is the right lane. I can't explain why it's the right lane, but I feel his pleasure when I run. God has placed you in a lane, and you don't need to apologize for it. You're in America. You're not in the third world. Your, your Christian life would be expressed very differently if you were living in Iran right now. But you're here. Don't feel guilty about that. Run in the lane you're in. The Bible says in, in first, or 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says when they compare themselves with themselves, when they measure themselves by themselves, they are not wise. It is not wisdom to compare your race to somebody else's race. Because the life of Jesus is expressed uniquely and he didn't make you the expert on everybody's race. I was with a man this 
this week, and he's got a, a ministry, and he had made some decisions in his ministry that I have serious questions about, and so, but he came in, and, and I told him, I told him what I had questions about, and that I just couldn't go along with this, and, and he told me the why he did what he had done in his ministry. And here's the verse that came to my mind, and I want to read this to you because it's, I don't want to mess it up. Romans 14, 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. And here's what I said to him. Bro, if that's how God's leading you, you don't have to give an account to me. Do it. Run. God didn't make you the judge of everybody else's life. Well, I think they're too worldly, or I think they're too legalistic. Well, maybe that's a problem. Maybe you're thinking too much. God, God didn't make you judge. And here's what my Bible says, that before their own judge, they're going to stand or fall. And it says this, God's able to make them stand. God's cheering for them. Yes. Let's be a little less opinionated about everybody else's race. And maybe they are off. Pray for them. Because God's able to make them stand. God's able to get them back in the right lane. God's able, if they're wandering or if they're this or they're that, Absolutely, God will use us to speak into each other's lives. God will use us. But guys, they're God's to correct, not yours. They're God's to correct. Run in your lane. Run in your lane. Run with joy in your lane. Fulfill the unique expression of the life of Jesus that he wants through you. And you don't have to be able to explain yourself to everybody else. You can just say, I feel his pleasure when I run. And then fourthly, the blueprints of the new house. Turns out that it includes the promise of a second home. John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. Now, the word rooms there, it's the word mones. It means home. This is why the King James translates it mansions. There are many mansions. There are many homes there. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Here's his promise. If you will build a home with him now, if you will build a life with him now, you will seek to make him at home and try to get at home in his word and his presence. He says this, I will build something for you in the new Jerusalem. I will build a home for you. I will build it, design, and it will last forever, and you and I will dwell there forever and ever and ever. That's a great promise. All right, so those are the blueprints of the new home. Point three, last point, the pain of pruning. 
He says, you're already clean by the word that I have spoken. Well, it turns out that that word clean is the same word for prune. You're already pruned by the word I've spoken. And if you bear fruit, you're going to be pruned more so that you can bring forth much fruit. So we need to talk a little about pruning. So when we lived in Minnesota, we lived in Montevideo, Minnesota, southwest Minnesota. We owned this Victorian, uh, old Victorian house, and it had one of the best yards in Montevideo. Um, but the people that we bought it from were like into everything. They were into gardening. So there's gardens here, there's flowers here, there's bushes that go around everything. And then they had bought this old ancient gate, this metal black gate. So to come into our place, you, you, ha- you opened this gate and you walked down the sidewalk to our front porch and there were bushes on the two sides. And now the problem is, is Alice and I are not, we don't do gardening. We really don't do lawn stuff. I mow. That's all I do. Alice is like, why don't you trim? I'm like, why don't you trim? I'm like, I'm in for mowing. The the marriage contract only said mowing. And so if you want it trimmed, you trim. Otherwise, we both live with it untrimmed. Anyway, point is this. Point is this. We go away on vacation, and this woman in our congregation that's very into gardening puts a group of people together, and they, they do our lawn. They, they trim everything, and they make this new rock garden, and we come back, we got even more gardens to take. Anyway, um, <laughs> we get back, and the whole thing looks beautiful. But we go through the metal gate, and the bushes are gone. We had bushes on both sides, big bushes. Where are the bushes? She's like, oh, they're still there. And I'm like, what happened to them? She said, oh, we pruned them. I'm like, there must be some mistake because those look dead. Those look humiliated, those bushes do. She said, actually, um, most people don't even understand how to do pruning, but this is actually the right way. This is how it will come back. The most beautiful, the most full, the most everything. And, uh, and of course, it it turned out she was, she was right. She did it. She did it the right way. Now, I've been working on this message all week and Alice has, Alice told me, she said, I still can't, I can't prune our bushes at that level. I can't bring myself to do it. It's too great. And, um, but it's the right way to do it. There is pain in pruning. I want to talk about the initial pain. He says, you're already pruned because of my Word. Every one of the disciples that he's talking to is already pruned because they've already made an initial response to God. There is a pruning up front that the Bible calls repentance. To be Christ's, we all have to 
repent. And there's an initial pain in repentance. You, 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 it would be easy to ask this question. Pastor Tom, if the blueprints for the new home are so cool and so filled with joy, and then the promise of the second home, I mean, that kind of puts it over the top. And it's so unique, and it's going to bring out the best of me and, and what I was created for and all this. Why wouldn't everybody want that new home? Why wouldn't everybody want to build that new home with God? Well, there's a number of reasons why people don't want the pain of repentance. Here's why people don't want the new home. First, pride. Pride says this. I I don't want a new home. I built this one. And I'm proud of it. I have built the life that I'm currently living in. I'm not looking for another life. Thank you anyway, Mr. Jesus. (laughs) And Jesus himself said this. He said it's really hard for the rich. Those that naturally have a good life because of wealth and position and, and, and personality and, and DNA that makes life fairly easy and healthy, it's harder for rich people. He, did, he said that. Because pride wants, it, it's built its own thing and it doesn't want to build something else and have to share it with someone else. And uh, here's what I would say to those that are proud. Um, Look a little closer at your house and you're going to find out that it's not quite as beautiful and wonderful as you thought it was. Go go down in the basement and you're going to find out there's a lot of dirt down there. There's a lot of slime down there. There's a lot of bad smells down there. Look a little closer. God has given you evidence that the current home is not working. But the problem with pride, of course, is it's blinding. It, it blinds itself, it justifies itself. And, um, but this is the issue with the proud. There's a second group that don't want to be, have that initial pruning, and that's uh, prejudice. I don't want a large house. I want to live in a one-bedroom. You can't please everybody, but you got to please yourself. I just want it to be about me. And I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't want there to be a place for a bunch of other people. I don't want to have to include other people in my life. I want to just live my own life for me, with me, in me, and me, 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 me. And some want to have a two-bedroom or maybe three-bedroom where it's me and my family and a few close friends, but I don't want all those other people. I was, we were, we were out to eat a couple of weeks ago and we're walking out and I see this guy and he's got a t-shirt. He's wearing this t-shirt. Here's what the t-shirt says. I used to be a people person, but people ruined it. <laughs> I've never seen anyone wear a wound on their clothes like that out there, just out there. I am... I am wounded, I view life through my wound, and don't try to get close to me. And I thought a lot about that, about, about that guy. I thought, I thought about that t-shirt. And, and the, the truth is this. It, it wasn't people that ruined it, it was a person. He experienced betrayal. He experienced something from a spouse or from a friend or somebody hurt him really bad, really deep, and now he's he's viewing the whole human race through that wound. 
And so I don't, wanna, I don't want to have anybody else in my life. Let me, let, me, let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is a people person. He likes people. And he wants, he'll help you look at that, that person that betrayed you, that relationship that betrayed you. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll tell you a number of things. One thing he'll say, I, I, I was betrayed. <laughs> I was betrayed, and you're experiencing a little what I experienced so that you would know me better and you would know my love better. I've let you identify with me. He'll say another thing with betrayal. That's how betrayal feels, so make sure that your character includes not betraying people. He'll say another thing. (laughs) He'll point out another thing. Just because you were betrayed by one person doesn't mean that everybody's going to betray you. Have you noticed that he had 12 disciples and only one betrayed him? That means 11 were faithful. No, I will grant you, all 12 had problems. All all 12 were only human beings and had weaknesses, and you're not going to find any angels on this earth. Trust me. People are people. But just because they're not perfect doesn't mean they're not loyal. Do you know 11 of the 12 were willing to die for him? 10 of them did die for him. God's brought a lot of people into your life that love you, that are staying by you. So don't judge the human race by the person that wounded you. Forgive. Learn forgiveness. I just don't think I can. Well, here's another way to think about it. You know, you're, 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 you're going to hold on to this wound of betrayal. Have you ever thought of how many times you betrayed God? How many times you told God you were going to do this, you're going to be that, and then you haven't done it, and you betrayed him, and he forgave you. So as part of your worship, forgive those who have hurt you. And because uh, Jesus loves people, and it is part of Christianity. You're not going to be Christian for long if you're going to be angry at people. He, he loves he loves. He loves Republicans. He loves Democrats. He loves every race. He loves every, everybody. You can't think of a person he doesn't love. And he wants you to see them the way he sees them. Comfort. Many people are like, that sounds awesome. That new home sounds awesome. Uh, that sounds way better than what I currently have. Um, the problem is it sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of investment. I'd actually have to do something. And even though I'm miserable in my current home, kind of comfortable. I'm miserable in my sin, but I like it. I'm miserable in my addiction, but it's what—it's my addiction, and I'm going to hold on to it. And um, so maybe later. Be careful, folks. Be careful about later. Be careful about later. Do hard things now you will not regret it. <laughs> Do the painful thing now. Don't wait to come to Jesus. Offense. Oh my. I'd rather be homeless than live with God. God killed my dog. God killed my spouse. God killed my child. God, God, God is being held responsible for doing a lot of stuff in our life And you've got some facts messed up, folks. The Bible says the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. God didn't come to kill, steal, and destroy. 
Just because something happened doesn't mean it's God's fault that God was doing it to you. Please give up your offense with God. I don't know why it happened. I don't know all that happened, but I know God's heart for you is love. God's heart for you is kindness. God is a good God, and his thoughts towards you are good, not evil. And then probably the number one, oh, I've got another one, fear of man. What will people think of me if I go in for Jesus? What if it, what if it doesn't work? What if I follow Jesus and it doesn't work? What if it does work? Who cares what people think? You're not going to give an account to people at the end of your life. You're going to give an account to God. And then another reason, last one, unbelief. Unbelief says this. I believe maybe that there is a God and maybe there is a home, but it's, he certainly doesn't want to build one with me. He might be interested in building it with like people that are, are better than me or more religious than me or that have a better track record than me, but you don't know me and trust me, he doesn't want to build a home with me. Trust me, he does. He knows your whole story. He knows how bad it is. Think about this. You think your current home is a mess and it's filled with filth and sin and lust and okay, that's all evidence that it's not working. Jesus is inviting you away from that home to build a new home with him. He's just trying to say, come on. He's, that's part of his knock. He's saying, that's not working. Come on, let's do something new. This isn't the end of your life. This, is, this can be the beginning of a new home that we build together. I love you. That's why I came down. That's why I became a, a human being. That's why I died on that cross. I'm not trying to get rid of you. I want to build a new home with you. That is the heart of God towards every single one of us. And then there's pruning after you've moved in. Here's, here's the two options the Father gives. I'm the true vine, the Father's the, the, the vine dresser. He who does not make his home in me, the Father's going to cut off. And those who do make their home in me, he is going to prune so that they can bear more fruit. So we got two options. We can be cut off or we can be cut back. Those are the only two options. So he's saying this to his disciples. And he says this, you have already been pruned by my word. He, he says it specifically to Peter in chapter 13. He said, you are already clean. And the word for clean and the word for prune are the same word. You're already clean. You don't need to be washed all over because whoever has had their feet cleaned or washed or pruned is, is clean all the way through. He says this, those who bear fruit, those who do please me, are going to be pruned so that they bring forth more fruit. So here is Peter. Peter has left everything to follow him. He's already paid the, that initial price. He's already, he's cast out demons, he's healed the sick, he's been part of this whole thing. And Jesus is looking at these disciples. It's right before he's dying. And he said, guys, 
you please me. And because you please me, because you, you followed me, you're going to get pruned. And there's no way they can understand what that's going to mean. Because God's idea of pruning is way different than ours. Within 24 hours, Peter will deny Jesus three times. Peter, who said that he was willing to die for him, that he was greater than all the others, who always won every argument when they're arguing which one of us is the greatest. Peter always won that argument because Jesus has said, you're the rock, Peter. I'm building the church on you. And Peter is going to be pruned so far back. He's going to be humiliated in his own eyes, but also in everybody else's eyes. The number one guy is going to deny him three times to a little servant girl. That's, that's being pruned. That's being cut back. Was he mad at Peter? Oh, no. Oh, no, he was really pleased with Peter. He loved Peter. Here's the problem. He wanted more fruit. <laughs> Peter could not bring forth much fruit in his current state. He was so filled with himself so filled with who he was and his own energy and his own ability. And Jesus is like, those who bring forth fruit and are pleasing to me, and you guys are pleasing to me, you're going you're gonna to have to be pruned so that you can bring forth more fruit. I've got, I want you to do more than you can do in your current state. So he cuts Peter back. In pure love. Not just for Peter, but for the human race. Because he wants to touch people. And we look at our own lives and we think we're good to go. I could do a lot for God. And God's like, mm, yeah, you could do a few things. I can use you in a, in, a, in a couple ways right now, but if I just snip some more self out of there, if I can, if I can just snip here and there and there, yeah, it's going to be painful up front. It's going to cost you something up front but it's gonna be so much better for you and for the human race because when our union is greater, more of me is seen. More of me can flow through you. The discipline of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 12, 11 through 13. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It produces, one version says, the fruit of holiness. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This book is written to the Hebrew Christians. They're Jews the temple still exists. They started out on fire for Jesus, and now uh, their life is really difficult. They're being persecuted. They've lost jobs, and a lot of them are being tempted to go back to Judaism. If we just go back to Judaism, if we just go back to the law, if we go back, we'll be welcome back to our families and to the synagogue, and we can get better jobs. And, we can, and, and they're, they started in him. They experienced the initial pruning, but now God's doing more pruning and they're like thinking about giving up and turning back. And Hebrews 12, 
says, don't misinterpret the difficulties in your life. God disciplines those he loves and accepts. This is not a sign that he's, he's mad at you. This isn't a sign that he's displeased with you. He loves you. He is for you. He just has a higher call for you than you have for yourself. His call is to oneness with him where fruit just flows out of you, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of righteousness that comes when we are one with him. So I had three people in two weeks say almost the exact same thing to me. And here's what they told me. I feel trapped. I feel blocked. I, I, I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what God is saying to me. Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything God wants me to do. I've confessed every sin that I could possibly think of, but I can't seem to move forward. I am stuck. I feel like I'm in a prison, and I can't seem to get out. And because they came one at a time, what I said to the first person, I said to the other two, because they were just, they were all the same situation. And it was about this. It was about John on Patmos. The apostle John is, is, is imprisoned on this uh, island called Patmos, and He's in prison, and, and so, so there's no horizontal thing that can happen for him. Um, he's, he's limited in his movement. He feels like he's in prison because he actually is in prison. But God comes to him. A voice comes to him, Revelation 4.1. He hears it. It sounds like a trumpet. And instead of looking out, he looks up. And as he looks up, he sees, he sees a door open for him in heaven. And this voice speaks this, come up here. Come up higher. And sometimes we feel stuck horizontally. We, if we just had a different job, if we just had a different girlfriend or boyfriend, if we just had if something horizontally needs to change, if I just didn't live in Madison, if I lived somewhere else, if I got a different this or a different that, I would be happy. And I just, I just God, what, God, I, I physically don't feel good. If I just could get healed, if God would just heal me, I would be all better and my life would be better. And God, why won't he heal me? Why won't he why won't he? Why won't he? Why won't he? And God, in his great mercy and his great love, is opening up a door for you, but it's not the door you're asking for. He's calling you to greater union with himself. It's funny because as I was studying John on Patmos, uh, John, after he gave the revelation, had that experience, Domitian, who was the emperor at the time, he died, and uh, the beginning of the good emperors came, and he was released from that prison. 
He was released and, and uh, the, 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 the circumstantial prison ended. But not until he had the vertical experience. God does care about your horizontal stuff. God is hearing prayer about your horizontal stuff. But oftentimes, he wants something else. Something, here's, here's the line that he gave me this week. I want to just give it to you. The greater joy that he gives in union with him, in this process that, 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 is, that is union with him, the joy will be greater than the pain and the price you pay for that union. The joy that's coming will be greater than the pain and the price that you've experienced in this process. But here's, here's the response for those you're here and I just described you. You're stuck, you're bored, you, you can't seem to go farther, you, you, you want something new to happen, you, you feel like you're going against a wall, you feel kind of like Job or feel like you're imprisoned like John. Tonight is for you, worship and waiting. Here, here's, what, here's what I felt this morning. What you need, man can't give you. John didn't need a cliche. He didn't need somebody to come and say, you know, it'll be better. You'll, you'll, no, no. He needed an experience. He needed an encounter with God. Tonight, during worship and waiting, sometime during that night, I'm going to invite people forward to, to kneel up here or stand up here, and, I've, I, and I'm going to have our elders and pastors and prophetic people come up behind and pray over you, and I want you to have an encounter. I think you need an encounter when you're in that spot. You need something that heaven gave you and not just man. So I'm inviting you to come back tonight, 6 o'clock tonight. Pastor Tom, I've got kids. Bring the kids. Yes. Bring them. Yes. It's not going to hurt your kids to get used to the presence of God. Well, what if they cause somebody else? What if, they, what if they're loud? We love your kids. Bring them. I don't care if they're loud. This is a family. Families are messy. All right. If we get every head bowed and every eye closed and the worship team is coming. So maybe you are here today and you really feel like, oh my, I have just visited the hotel. <laughs> I've tried to make God a hotel that I visit every once in a while. Or maybe you've done the month-to-month -month thing and your options have been open and, and today Jesus is calling you to invest. He's already invested. He's already died on the cross for you. He's already all in. And he's calling you to be all in. That I am going to build this thing and there is no return. I'm investing my life in this. The Bible says it this way. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he'll come in. So today, it's not about my voice. It's not about what Tom thinks. It's about Jesus and what Jesus is saying to you. And if today, Jesus is knocking and he's calling for you to be all in and you want to respond to him. I've got every head bowed and every eye closed. This is between you and God. The reason why people raise their hands is because somebody helped me open my door. And so I like to pray a prayer that helps people open the door. So if that is you, 
Um, would you just raise your hand right now? High enough and long enough. I see that hand and 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 that hand behind that hand and that hand there and up in the balcony in the front of the balcony, I got you. And that one on the other side of the balcony, I got you. Anybody else by upraised hand? I've seen all those. You can keep those down. Is there anybody else by upraised hand? I'm going to pray in just a moment. Anybody else? Gotcha. God bless you. Jesus, Jesus was waiting for you. If you raised your hand, just put your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this between you and God. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you, God, that you like me so much that you want to build a house with me. Now, Jesus, I'm opening my door. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm embracing that initial pain, whatever it might be, of discomfort, of people not understanding, of offense or prejudice or whatever it is. I repent of my sins. I repent of living my own life apart from you. I repent of my pride that has blinded me. Father, I want to fulfill the purpose for which I was created, which is to be in Christ. So Jesus, come in, fill me up, wash away my sins. I receive that gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Then could we stand together? Now, for that second group, I told you I'm not going to pray for you this morning. You need to come back tonight. You need more than a, a, a quick, quick drive-through prayer. You, you, we need it. It's time, folks. It's time for the church of God to get serious. It's time to step up. It's time to go farther than we've gone in the past. We are comfortable in his love. We are at home in his love. But he's saying, come on, I need you to come higher. I've allowed these, these blocks in your life. I've, I've allowed these ceilings. I've allowed this prison because I'm, I'm calling you to a higher place. Come on. Come on up. Yes. Now, if you absolutely can't be here tonight, we will have ministry teams down here. We will pray for you. But I want you to come back tonight. Lord, thank you that you are leading us. You are speaking to us. Lord, this is a time I believe for this church. I believe this church has pleased you. So you're cutting us back so that we can bring forth more fruit because you, you, you've got so many things you want to do. But it's going to have to be less us and more you. So come, Jesus, and do what only you can do, we pray. Amen. Bless you.